Why don't we stand for the reading of the word? Joshua 4, 19 to 24, if you've got that in your Bibles in front of you. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear or have great and deep respect and awe of the Lord your God. Father, I just thank you that you actually did that, that you are the God that intervenes miraculously, and you do this for your people, God. And so, Lord, we just give you thanks for this incredible story that we're going to look at today as we, as we celebrate our fourth anniversary. And we just pray, Lord, that your word would go deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The kind of the big sort of thing I want to look at today is remembering uh, about, you know, because this is what, what, what this big, this passage is about, and the whole passage prior to it is about God telling the people of Israel to remember. Um, but before we do that, and because it's our fourth anniversary, and because I know many of you have been Christians for a number of years, or maybe you've just become a Christian, I just thought it'd be great to take an opportunity to just look back over our lives and actually take stock of all the amazing things that God has done. Um, we're so often we forget, like, not out of kind of like our, our cold heart, it's just we get busy and we forget the goodness of God in our lives. Yes, we have struggles, yes, we have challenges, but God has been faithful in all of our lives. And uh, when I think of my own life, I think about, you know, giving my heart to the Lord when I was 13 blubbering up the front of the Rock Church in Wellington. At 15, you know, getting baptised, my mother-in-law, not my mother-in-law at the time, um, yeah, took me through my pre-baptism class. Uh, you know, and I, I remember being baptised at Wainuemata Baptist Church at 15 years of age, and we sang Amazing Grace as I, you know, as I came out of the water sort of thing. Like, I, I remember the first time being really filled with the Holy Spirit and, and speaking in tongues, uh, I, I remember when God brought Amy into my life and I got married, like, I remember having my first, you know, every child that was born, like, I've just got blessings after blessings after blessings, and I know you guys do too. So what I thought we'd do is, if you don't mind, sometimes it helps us, why don't you close your eyes, and why don't you just do that, just like you're watching a movie in your mind, look back over your life to those significant events that God has done, and just think about them. We're just going to take a moment to do that, and then I'm just going to invite, you don't have to come up, but I just want to make space here for a few people to come up and just share um, the goodness of God in your life. And I know many of you would have um, loads of stories, we could spend all day, we could go days here, people just telling stories of God's goodness and his kindness and how much he's intervened in our lives. But I, I said all that... Uh, sort of, you know, to do that exercise and to kind of um, in, invite people to come share because I think sometimes we forget 
as humans. Like we forget the goodness of God and we have to always be reminded of the goodness of God. And that's what I feel like God is doing here in this scene. Now, if you're not familiar with this passage, what had happened was that the nation of Israel had been taken out of slavery in Egypt. They'd been in slavery for like 400 years and Moses had led them out miraculously across the Red Sea. But then due to their disobedience and a whole lot of other stuff, they, they, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. A whole generation sort of passed wandering into the wilderness. And so this new generation that had not been in slavery in Egypt was now coming up with, Jose, uh, with Joshua, who'd taken over from Moses, and they were about to cross into the Promised Land, into Canaan, across the River Jordan. And it's, this, it's, a, it's, it's a pivotal moment because this, is, this has been 40 years in the waiting, 40 years in the waiting, and 440 years in the waiting as well, from time in slavery, they were going to step back into the promised land. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture here of the promised land of, uh, you know, as overall from scripture of, of eternal life and of, of, of life in God and stuff. And they're about to do this, they're about to step into this thing. And uh, God tells Joshua to... to you know, to, to do this, to cross the River Jordan, because it's a, it's a natural barrier, there's a big river there, with all these people, um, what you need to do is you need to get the priests and you need to carry up the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was, you know, carried the presence of God um, in, a, in a box. And if anyone's seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, like this is, you know, and, and not quite like that, but, you know, it just gives you an idea of the picture of, 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 of what it looked like. And they... they he instructed them to carry it into the river, and, and, and what would happen, God said, you know, as you step, step into the river, something will happen sort of thing. So they stepped into the river, and the waters parted. And just like with the Red Sea, it's, it's like a mirror of the Red, crossing of the Red Sea in many ways. They go into the middle of the river, and they're standing there, all these guys holding the Ark of the Covenant, and all the people, uh, all the nation of Israel, all the people just go around them and go across the river, cross dry ground and and walk up into the promised land and this because this was such a significant event in in the nation of Israel and something that God really wanted to remind them of he said in verse 21 he said to the Israelites in future when your descendants ask their parents what do these stones mean now what what God had instructed Joshua to do was um, he instructed um, them to get 12 guys, go grab a, a stone um, out of the middle of, of, this, of this, the River Jordan where the, where the priests and the presence of God was standing. Grab a, I imagine it must have been a massive, you know, not a little pebble or something, <laughs> big kind of boulder or something probably. Carry it up onto the, onto the bank and to, and, to, and to set up like a sort of like a, a memorial, a monument there of the 12 stones. And the stones would represent each tribe, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so, so God, uh, speaking here, you know, Joshua was speaking to the people from what God had told him. He said to Israel, in the future, when your descendants, when your kids ask you, ask you, what do these stones mean? What's this pile of stones here? What's that about? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. And early on in verse 7 he says, these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. 
So I guess the question I keep sort of asking is, why did, why did God do this in a sense? Why, why, why does God do these things? Why did he get people to do these symbolic representations? And I, I think the reason that God does this is that God's an intensely practical <laughs> God as well, as being a supernatural God. He knows that we, we struggle with our memory, and he knows that actually having something quite um, tangible and quite... Um, bollock that of those big stones is something that will refresh people's memory so that when they're walking past there with their, their kids and their grandkids and stuff they can say hey look you know what what's dad granddad what's that pile of stones about and they're gonna be like oh I'll tell you what it's about that's when God you know miraculously you know um, held back the waters so that we could cross across the Jordan and they would tell the story and then that would carry on so that's why God does that. He wants it to be something that will be a pivotal thing in their culture. Remember, they're not a culture that read and write, so a lot of it's all oral. So it's through stories that they remember what God has done. But sadly, and it's a story right written throughout the Bible, is, is that people, people forget. Uh, Judges 2.10 says, And all that generation, that one we're just talking about, also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Within a generation, like, forgotten. Like, they didn't pass on the stories properly. They didn't encode it to their children like, this is really important. <laughs> they just got distracted in the promised land, and they got caught up in a whole lot of other stuff, and they forgot what God had done. And uh, it's really interesting that with memory, because memory has... These, these two kind of stages to it. The first stage of our memories is called encoding. It's a process by which the details of our experience are converted into a form that can be stored in our brains. People are more likely to encode details of what they're paying attention to and details that are personally significant. Retention or storage is the stage in which information is preserved in memory following its initial encoding. These stored memories are incomplete. Some information that is encoded during an experience fades during retention, sometimes quickly, while other details remain. A related term, memory consolidation, refers to the neurobiological process of long-term memory function. And um, if, if, you, if you know me, I'm, I, I'm actually quite good at remembering like random facts. That's like my superpower. So, so like, if you you got a quiz night, I'm I'm your guy. Like, like you want to know who kicked the the winning drop goal in the 1995 World Cup? Joel Stransky and put a, a dagger into my heart as a 13 year old boy. Like, yeah, I know those kind of details. Like, I'm really good at those sort of. I like absorb that kind of information. Um, I'm not so good with other type of details. Now, often uh, Amy gives me instructions to do things, like to go pick up things from the shop, and She's, she's had to learn the hard way through this is that she tells me verbally, and it's usually, it's always three things, eh? three or four things, it's never just one. Anyway, I get to the shop, I hop out of my car, I'm wandering it, and I'm like, I know the first thing. And then I'm like, what was the second thing? And then I'm guessing, and then I have this dilemma. I'm like, do I just try and wing it? and hope I get it right, because that could go really badly, or do I ring up and I ask for clarification again? Um, you know that conversation we had half an hour ago? What was the second and third thing? Just me? Any other guys here can relate? 
people? Yeah, <laughs> I see the hand. <laughs> so Amy's had to learn to like send me messages now. Like, yeah, she texts it now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll just wing it next time. Yeah. <laughs> It's, uh, sadly, it's this thing called the forgetting curve. Uh, some of you might have learnt this through school or university or stuff. Uh, basically, and, and, and sadly, um, from sermons as a pastor, I realised that it, basically within uh, a day, you lose about 90% of what you've learnt through a lesson or for a message or through something like that. And then it kind of keeps going down. But you can stop that from happening. You can make that, that get encoded into your into your brain, and the way that you do that is through a thing called spaced um, repetition. Um, so basically, you you have to a day after you've like the next day after your lesson, you get your notes out and you and you go over them again, and it kind of cements it again in your brain, and then you go to like 72 hours, you know, three days afterwards, and you and you do it again, and it gets cemented in your brain. You go to five days and you do it, and, and you do this over and over again, and that way it gets en- encoded into your into your brain and that you can remember more. But that is kind of, I, I say all that to say, that is, you have to work at memory, you have to be intentional about it, and you have to keep prompting yourself to remember. And I feel like that's the same thing that, that God, well, I said earlier, God is an intensely practical God as well. He's like, you've got to keep doing this. In Deuteronomy, when he gives them the law, and he says, look, this is the path to a good life, guys. This is the path to flourishing. He says, now tie these words, these commandments to your foreheads, put them on your arms, put them on your doorposts, you know, so that you do, and it says, so that you do not forget the Lord your God who took you out of slavery. Like we have to be intentional about remembering things that God has done because if we don't, the consequences are that we drift and that we forget and then we float away kind of thing. But if we are going to be intentional about God, we've got to bring these things to mind. We've got to remember them. We've got to repeat them. There's a saying, there's no formation without repetition. And I know that sounds boring, but that's, that's how it works. <laughs> you have to continually be formed by God by doing the same key things that make you more like Jesus. Now, the command, uh, remember, is, is something like mentioned 250 times in the Bible. And it do, when it was saying remember, it doesn't just mean simply to bring to mind. It's almost like sort of saying to focus on and to reflect on with all your love and devotion. In Exodus 28, um, the Lord said to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, because they were slaves. And so the Sabbath day was to remind them to take a rest, because they weren't slaves anymore. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles long ago. Psalm 77, 11. Jesus said this at the communion, do this in remembrance of me. You know, he knew that they needed to remember what was core and what is critical as they were going to go on the mission after he had died and rose again and the Holy Spirit came, that they would take communion regularly. That's why we, you know, we take communion every week here at Kurimakul, because we're reminding ourselves about who we are and who we are in God, what the core things are, that we are saved, that we are, we, his blood and his body are critical. It's, this is the core. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is Jesus before he's, you know, just uh, at the end of the Great Commission, reminding them, I'm with you guys. I'm not going to leave you. 
Um, this is Paul talking to, uh, to his little mentee, uh, mentee? mentor, mentee, um, Timothy, disciple. Uh, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, you know? Like, don't forget Jesus Christ, Timothy. Like, he is crucial, he is critical. And then in Revelation 3.3, 3, remember therefore what you have received and heard, hold it fast. Like, hold on to these things. This is important. And I was, I was trying to think in our culture, what is, what is a cultural narrative? What is a cultural liturgy where we kind of do this as a whole country? And the thing that I came to was this, this statement. I, I'm pretty sure nearly everyone in this room probably knows this statement, least we forget. And th- we say this around Anzac Day every year. And I, I was looking at the word um, least and it basically means in order to prevent any possibility that something will happen. Like, you know, be aware. Make sure this doesn't happen, that we never forget what happened in those two world wars. That we never forget how horrible war is. Like, be aware of this thing. Like, that, that lives, people lost their lives for this. Be aware. Do, take concern. And I was thinking about that in context of um, other wars and other situations that we, we don't think about. If I was to talk about the Boer War or the Hundred Year War or something like that, most of us would be like, uh, what's that about? It's because we don't talk about it a lot. We don't, we don't focus on it as a culture. And I, I, I recently um, was driving up through the country up to Raglan, and this is just south of Te Aumutu, and I, I stopped, I just saw it at the corner of my eye, there was a... a, a a battle site for a land war, and I was like, oh, oh, pulled over the car, got out, and uh, had a look, and took took this photo here of this um, monument that was erected at the Battle of Orako. This is one of the last um, battles in the land wars in the Waikato, and um, it, it, it commemorates, um, you know, a, a battle there between the colonial forces and 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 Maori, and and I just thought, well, isn't that interesting? Like that was something in our culture in Aotearoa that pretty much had been almost brushed aside or forgotten about for most people in our country. But hallelujah, in the last you know, few years, we've seen that a resurgence in that area where people are starting to know, people kind of know what you're talking about now when you say land wars. They might not know all the specific details, but there's a growing consciousness of this because we're teaching it at our schools. It's been more common in our culture so that we, we start to remember and focus on this thing and they are, hey, there's something that happened here. We need to know about it. We're going to remember it. And, it, and of course, in our country, there's these there's wonderful monuments to, to the gospel as well. Uh, this is uh, Marsden's Cross, uh, which is up in the Bay of Plenty, uh, Rangiohoa Bay. Um, and this is where Marsden, who was the first uh, missionary to come to New Zealand, came and preached a sermon on, on Christmas Day in 1814. And he, he preached a sermon, I bring you tidings of great joy, you know, like the good news of Jesus Christ. Like, this is where it started over 200 years ago. Like, this is a monument to that, that, that that's happened. Like, the gospel came to our land and it was received by Māori and, and you know, we, we, we all have it today. And here's another one I saw when we were, um, we went to Mahia for a holiday. Um, uh, there's this uh, reserve there, um, you see on the right, and it's a, it, it's basically a baptismal port. Uh, font where uh, William Williams um, in the 18, 
1842, baptised a whole lot of Māori that came to faith there. And, and there's like a plaque and stuff. And, you know, like, and I was just like, wow, someone's recorded this. They want people to remember that this happened in our land. And, you know, and like, we've got to keep remembering what God has done in our land. And why is this all so important overall, like this picture, you know, we've got of, of crossing the Jordan? Why is that so important as I, as I come into land this morning? Well, because it's about salvation. The crossing of, of the Jordan is actually a, a beautiful picture of, of, of salvation, just like crossing the Red Sea, you know, coming out of slavery and into life. And, you know, these guys coming into the new land, into the promised land, and into eternal life that we come into. And uh, the name Joshua um, actually is, um, you know, Yeshua, Jesus' name, is, is, is a version of, of Joshua. And in this, you know, Jesus as the new Joshua brings us as the people of God um, into the, you know, crosses the river, stops the water, provides an access way through his presence to take us to the other side. And I think it's so interesting that, that you know, and it must be one of the reasons why Jesus was baptised in the Jordan, because it's got that same picture there, you know, like in Joshua, we got the picture of the presence of God in the middle of the river. And then with John the Baptist and Jesus, you've got, you got the presence of God inside a human being going down into the water. You know, beautiful picture of salvation here. And this is what we keep, we need to remind ourselves of what God has done in our life and is doing. Amen? So how do we do this as I finish? There's a great whakatauki called uh, Kamua Kamuri. And it basically kind of means sort of walk backwards into the future. And when I think about this whakatauki, I think about um, someone rowing a boat. Um, You know, they're, they're... they're looking backwards and they're moving forward. Um, there's something about like we, 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 we don't just forget the past. We don't dwell there. Like we don't want to be like, oh, it was so much better back then. You know, that was, that, you know, you've got to go back to the Toronto blessings. That's when everything was awesome or the charismatic renewal. No, we don't want to do that. We want to we remember those significant moments where God moved. But we just want to look at that and go, yes, God, you're faithful. Yes, you provide. Yes, you're with us, God, as we're moving towards the future, towards God. And I, I just think that's a beautiful picture. And I, I found this quite encouraging. Um, just a couple of people, you, you, some of you might know, guy John Tyson there, with the, uh, well, they both got glasses, the guy on your, um, your left, my right. He, I was listening to a sermon recently, and he said the way he prepares for his messages is that he has a photo album of his life that he goes through, like it's got a photo album of all the significant moments in his life, from where he was born, where he was raised, to when he went to America, to the churches and the places in America he was, and to where he is now. And every Saturday night before he prepares his sermons, he actually looks at these pictures and and actually goes, wow, God, you did that. Wow, God, you did that. Like, you broke through in those situations. I'm here where I am now because of what you did in those times and places. Thank you, God. And I, I just thought, that's such a cool, that's a cool picture. And because he said that he wants to get up and preach in a place like, like knowing God's faithfulness in that moment, like or, or from his life. Like that's what he wants to have on his heart as he's preaching. And I thought, that's so encouraging. 
The other one is a person called Bill Johnson that some of you might know from, from Bethel Church. And I'd heard this in a, in a message years ago. Uh, Christopher Luton, who's also there, was talking about he, he often would see Bill, who was his mentor. Um, they'd travel together when they're going to places, and he'd see Bill kind of flipping through this little folder and on planes and at airports and hotels and, and buildings and all sorts. And he, and he thought, oh, wow, this guy's just like Mr. Super Prepared. Like, he's just preparing all the time. Like, he's just Mr. On it as far as organisation. And then he found out from Bill that what Bill was doing was that he was, in that folder was all the prophetic words that Bill had received from others that he'd recorded. And what he was doing was that he was encouraging himself that God is faithful. Yes, God, you said this. Yes, God, you're going to do this. Thank you for that word I had. Like it was reminding himself of God's faithfulness and goodness. And I think the principle there that we can apply is that we can do that. You know, this morning we had a couple of prophetic words, you know, given to, to the two mats, you know. I'll, I'll send the recordings to them, and I encourage you to keep that somewhere in a folder, like a, in the cloud or digital or something, I don't know. But have a, have a space where you're keeping these things. Um, if you write them down, have it in a little folder. Um, another way that we, we, we often can do this is through journaling. Um, I know so many people, including, you know, this is, I find this so encouraging, if in your journal you go back and you go, I'm going to look back over the last you know, months and years and just see, and, just see, and you see, oh, wow, God, you, you answered that prayer. I was in that moment there and now look at me now. Like, the, the ways that we can remind ourselves of God's goodness and scripture memorization. Like, um, I, I've you know, memorized certain scriptures um, and, and all the jobs I've done in, in life and, and sometimes when I'm in a crisis or a, um, a stressful moment, I'll just sometimes go to that scripture in my mind because I don't need to use words or anything and it just encourages my heart. Yes, God, you're faithful. Yes, Lord, you can do these things. Um, the, there are many ways that we can collect and collate all the promises and the good things that God has done for us. And I, I guess as I finish this point, I just want to say, do that. Because if you don't do it, it, it will just sort of fade. You have to keep r- reminding yourself to do that. And, and, and lastly, I just want to say, this is why, you know, this is what we do at church. Like, you know, a lot of what we do at church is very similar week to week, you might notice. We worship, we take communion, we listen to the Word of God, we pray for one another, we have fellowship, tea and coffee and food. Like, these are practices that have been in the church for 2,000 years because they work. <laughs> because sometimes you need to come to church and be reminded about who you are in God. And you need to be encouraged by the other saints And that's why we do this every week. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're building this church and growing it. In Jesus' name.